from Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. I'm Caroline Wong, and I've been working in InfoSec for 13 years. I started out leading security teams at eBay and Zynga. I've also run a product management team at Symantec and delivered management consulting engagements at Sigital. Now, I'm the Vice President of Security Strategy at Cobalt. Throughout my career, my favorite thing about working in this industry has been the people that I've had the opportunity to meet. I'm fascinated by people, and I especially love hearing people's stories about how they got into the industry and why they chose to do the work they do. People are, in my opinion, the reason that the world has a security problem, and I also believe that people can be the solution. I'd like to introduce today's guest and my co-host for the Humans of InfoSec podcast, Mike Shima. Hello, Mike. Hey, Carolyn. It's great to have this chance to kick off the podcast. Thanks yes, for having me. my pleasure. Uh, Mike started out as a gamer and a hacker in the late 90s. He was part of the elite Foundstone Consulting Group, built a web application security scanner at Qualys, and led the product security team at Yahoo. Today, Mike is the Vice President of SecOps and Research at Cobalt. So Mike, you began working in this industry when you were playing around on a Commodore 64 machine and before there was any OWASP top 10. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? <laughs> sure. I think we'll definitely put the, the Commodore 64 in that decade of the 80s in the sense of the industry, meaning I was programming and typing in basic commands because you had to copy them out of a magazine in order to run the games that you wanted to play. But I think what was fun about that is that, you know, on the one hand, I played some great games, had a great time, but it also just got me interested in playing with computers. And aside from, I will forever have burned into my mind, you know, load star, comma, eight, comma, one. But one of the cool things about the Commodore was discovering the peek and poke commands. And that was basically a way to like, in, what, look at what was going on inside the system, what was going on in the memory. And so if we take that and roll forward a little bit more than a decade into, you know, my, when I really started, um, I, I, what I would, would consider my start in InfoSec at Foundstone, uh, that was when it was really fun to be like, what's new here with security to me? Because, you know, in the late 90s, security wasn't necessarily new. But like you mentioned, we didn't have the OWASP top 10 list that was a really easy shorthand to talk about web security. People were reading FRAC. They were looking back and talking about like seminal articles by like Rainforest Puppy, things like that. And they were playing around with different ways of how not only how web applications were being built, but how web applications would be pulled apart. So um, I definitely would say that the Commodore 64 gave me that love for computing. But uh, what was funny, it wasn't really until, you know, almost the end of college when I actually first did a crash course diving into trying to compile a Linux kernel that it gave me a real uh, appreciation for what would be, you know, more applicable in terms of system administration, understanding protocols, doing some networking um, that, that, you know, turned into that fun of hacking that I got to play around with at Foundstone. Cool. And Mike, tell me, Who's Larry Kushner, and what did he have to do with your career? 
names from ancient history. So um, in all my jobs, I've only once gotten a job via a recruiter, and it was uh, Lee Kushner who did that. And um, at the time, I was I graduated from Penn State, lived on the East Coast, and had a lot of friends going out to California. And um, it was like, I wonder what's out there in California. So I was looking around on whatever the job sites of the time were, um, you know, and then got a call out of the blue contacted by um, Lee Kushner. And it was really cool to say, and he's like, hey, you should talk to these guys at Foundstone. So I flew out and um, had a great conversation um, with, with some of the guys there. Chris Proceis, my first manager there. And um, from that point on, they you know, got an offer. I'm like, this will be great. Let's time to move to Orange County. Uh, you know, go live in the backyard of Disneyland and next near a beach and start hacking systems and start figuring out, you know, what does it mean to do web hacking? Because e-commerce sites were getting set up, banking was going online and people were having questions about, is this secure or not? And that was, so that was a great time to explore and to learn with a bunch of friends. And I think the other key part of that was that, you know, with, when, when there wasn't that OWASP top 10, there was a lot of things to figure out and there are a lot of people to be learning from. I think that's absolutely still true today um, because there's a lot of principles that might be the same within InfoSec, but the way the, the way it's being practiced or the what, you know, things like dockers, containers, or, um, you know, whatever buzzwords you want to use of the, of the day, those are different and there's a lot of things to learn now. But um, that was what was appealed to me at the most, I guess, if I'm trying to pull this rambling, a uh, bit of rambling back into something, you know, more concise, it would be, that was a great time to learn about systems and learn from smart people about how to take those systems apart. Very cool. Very cool. Mike, yesterday, Mike, over yesterday coffee, over you were telling me about a particular engagement that you did when you were with Foundstone. And at the time, you told me there was a group of you guys in basically a printer room for three months. What was it like when all of the consulting that happened, it seemed, you know, you were on site, you were doing this stuff in person, you were getting to know these other brilliant hackers and consultants really intimately. Uh, so that's, so see, I guess it is time to talk about humans, huh? Cause I thought, you know, when you first proposed this idea, I thought you, you know, you maybe you'd been watching the Battlestar Galactica reboot and you're going around trying to root out the Cylons within InfoSec. But uh, I guess you were just interested in how people work. <laughs> InfoSec, you know, we build systems for people and it's people who use systems and, you know, people we also work with on a daily basis. And that time was, um, you know, that, that time at Foundstone, we spent a summer working for a client, basically doing, reviewing a, a few hundred almost, or several hundred uh, internal web applications. And that was, you know, half a dozen or so of us squeezed into a printer room because they didn't have any larger space for us. And uh, you get, you, you become friends really quick. <laughs> and um, you also have to tell, you know, which of the guys not to have the, you know, extra onions on their sandwich for lunch, <laughs> <laughs> as well as just, you know, being able to talk about, you know, pop culture stuff because it, it was fun to just talk about whatever movies are coming out as well as be able to say, Hey, look at this protocol. There's something that looks like FTP, but it's not quite FTP. 
but it's at least text-based. What can we do to pull it apart? And that was a really cool thing to be able to, to, you know, just look at some ASCII, look at some binary, you know, sequences and go back and forth and basically, you know, play some Sherlock Holmes or do some guessing about what, well, what if you flipped this bit? What if you flipped this bit? Ah, and then, you know, and then, you know, some light bulbs start to go off and all these other metaphors. <laughs> and um, it, it was just, that's, that's kind of what made a lot of it actually fun because it was, one of the things about hacking that, that I like to talk about, or I guess I should, I like to emphasize is that anybody can run MMAP, anybody can run, you know, today Metasploit or canned exploits. But what's really cool is creative thinking and saying, here's what the expectations are around how this protocol is supposed to work, or here's what the developers are expecting their users to do. Let's do something completely different. And let's see how that something completely different turns into some kind of security problem rather than just like a bug that causes a crash. Let's see if we can get into some data, get into the system, something like that. So that's what that's where I get hooked. That's where I get excited about the, the penetration testing. Very cool. Mike, you're you're also quite a prolific author. Six books to date, if I have that correct, including Hacking Exposed Web Applications from 2006, most recently the Anti-Hacker Toolkit, fourth edition, uh, just a few years ago. In your writing, you often use magic as a metaphor for security testing. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So on the one hand, on one hand, I just, I just enjoy writing and I absolutely love reading. And admittedly, I do a lot more reading than writing. And uh, magic has, well, a little bit of that, that in my, in my books, I often try to sneak in Easter eggs and pop culture references. So I also, you know, have been playing D and D for, you know, a few decades now. And uh, so that was one of the things that brought magic to my mind. But there's also the sense of like, if you go to a show in Vegas or see a magic trick that um, I liked using that as a kind of a metaphor with hacking, because if you think of a good magic trick, it, it really, it can amaze an audience. And the audience also has kind of this unspoken agreement that we know you, the magician are going to like, you're going to lie, you're going to deceive, you're going to misdirect. But you're going to do this in order to tell a story or give some performance that's going to entertain. And so even if you know how the trick is performed and here is, you know, the card up the sleeve or this is how you actually saw your assistant in half, seeing it done with like a sense of humor or seeing it done with like, and, you know, a way that builds suspense is really cool. And the way I tie that into hacking is that with, um, you know, at Foundstone, Early on, I was learning a lot there and then also got the chance to do some teaching. So they would, they would teach courses like at Black Hat and whatnot. And, you know, this was the era when, you know, DEF CON was still at Alexis Park, just to give a sense for listeners um, who, who might not be aware how the industry moves and ebbs and flows and changes. But um, part of that training and the desire to write was to share this knowledge and to a degree, demystify hacking, kind of say, sort of take down a little bit of kind of the smugness I would observe to say, I know how to run NMAP or this canned exploit, and I'm you know the, the lead hacker. Because it's really more about what can you do, you know, what's your strong grasp of protocols? 
How well do you know how to be a system administrator? How well do you know how to be a network administrator? And yes, you need some tools in your toolkit, but what's your creative thinking for putting them together and pulling that apart? And to me, that is sort of that angle of magic. Like we can say how the tricks are done. Here, here are your tools. Here are the scripts to run. You know, here's your burp. Here's your Z attack proxy for web hacking. But putting them together and doing something, you know, a really cool hack that's entertaining or a really cool hack that's um, not a stunt hack so much as just something that's a really insightful, a really clever way of rethinking um, the way something works. To my mind, I like that kind of a, as a more of a, a loose definition of hacking or really how I wanted to, in a way, just share knowledge and help other people say, get that baseline ideas of here's some tools, here's a couple ways they work together. Now go forth and conquer. And, you know, what are the, you know, the, the, the big challenges we have today? We could say that, yep, there's still problems with passwords. There's still problems with patching. There's still problems with deploying encryption. So these aren't, you know, necessarily all that new or all that old for that matter. I guess I, guess I just said they're timeless. Um, but um, the, the way that we approach them are different. So, you know, modern day we have Let's Encrypt. So here's a tool. Um, to, to help with encryption and that, you know, something like deploying HTTPS on websites was almost unheard of way back in the, the late 90s. And the, basically the only message we had was yelling at people, please encrypt, please encrypt. You know, here's a wall of sheep because you're not using encryption, please encrypt. But roll forward, you know, several more years, we have a little bit of a shifting in the angle, basically kind of calling back to what you're talking about, like, People are, are an important part of InfoSec, where something like Let's Encrypt comes along and says, we see you have a problem. Here's how we're going to fix it. Yeah, cool. So, Mike, you know, with regards to here's a couple tools. In, in 2006, you designed and implemented a web application security scanner. So you really kind of changed gears from giving people advice and being, you know, the guy with so much of the knowledge in your brain and then, you know, in books as you were writing them. But really, like you're saying, knowing how the trick is performed, taking out the smugness and and programming some software that would allow others to leverage some of the things that you knew. Can you tell me a little bit about what that shift was like for you? Uh, that was fun. So I have to say, so as much as I do love writing just for, um, well, to entertain myself, but hopefully, you know, the, the, the books and blog posts are, are entertaining and, and informative for others. I also do like writing code um, because at heart, um, you can either call it laziness or efficiency. But, you know, once I've done something, you know, two or three times in a row, I would much rather script it or say, how can I repeat this a little bit more easily? And um, I got into Qualys and um, basically joined there and said, hey, if you give me a team of you know, two or three people who can program, um, here's some ideas how we could create a web application scanner. And they basically said, great, go ahead and start programming. And so as they a they little bit kind of called my bluff, if you will, and uh, I had to do a quick deep dive that I commit now after the fact and uh, learn a lot more of good C++ programming. So 
you know, in, in the spirit of openness and honesty, I think, you know, the code that I wrote my first two years of that scanner was absolutely horrible <laughs> and ugly. And uh, the, the nice thing that I was there, I was there for, for quite a while. So I also had the chance to go back and look at, you know, say, who wrote all this horrible code, realize it was actually me, and then go and clean it up and, you know, make it look a little bit better from uh, the perspective of an actually coherent type of, you know, development mentality, programming, and architecture approach. But it was really motivated in the sense of, you know, here at Foundstone was all this web hacking that I learned about. Here is what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And to a degree, it's like, oh, you know, while it's fun to pop up an alert window with yet another cross-site scripting vulnerability, it can get kind of tedious just to say, here is yet another cross-site scripting vulnerability. So why not just automate that? And I think, too, if we're sort of kind of do that jump back and forth from the late 90s to the late, you know, of 2000, almost 19 that we're in now, um, uh, is that there's a sense of scale. And that's really where automation is needed because, you know, we had, you know, a handful of people in a printer closet, you know, testing a few hundred web apps. And while that was great, it was also a great way to burn out and, you know, get boring after the, you know, the fourth month. So that's why we need scanners because if you also look at the time, we had, you know, worms at the time were like SQL Slammer or Code Red. They're, they spread on the order of tens of thousands or maybe a few hundred thousand systems, where now you have millions of systems that a worm can infect and, you know, millions of web applications. And you just need some type of automation to approach that. And I will also say there's no way that automation is going to be 100% effective, nor should it be expected to be, I think. So we will need humans, um, or I suppose, you know, Cylons as well, <laughs> since most are indistinguishable from us. But um, yeah, I think that's what, that's what it was fun. I guess the only other thing I would add there in terms of that, that writing aspect, it was fun to be able to write code and have other people look at it because that was one of the ways to be, to say, you know, you're writing a tool that, and code that should be maintained that needs to go into production. And that was a lot different mentality as well than here is a, a quick and dirty script that I just need for a, a two-week pen test. Or, you know, I need to automate something overnight to test a, a brute force scenario. Um, but then, you know, going into proper engineering and understanding, you know, uh, production enterprise level web applications and, and uh, that was a difference. So I guess the, there's the other underlying theme here is I, I like learning. I like being challenged. And so that that was one of the other reasons for switching from doing that hands-on manual consulting and figuring out how can we automate this? And maybe I should try to automate that. So Very cool. And, and it certainly, it's certainly a different type of job. I myself have been on the vendor side, been on the practitioner side, for you, after doing some of that hands-on manual consulting and then building a scanner, you then transitioned to running product security at Yahoo. So now all of a sudden, it's sort of your problem in a different way. <laughs> and, uh, and my understanding is that your team was responsible for the security of many different applications at Yahoo. How was that then another challenge for you? And, and what did you learn from that experience? 
So that was a that was a really great experience, and definitely that falls in that category of people. Like you know, you know, AppSec is people um, because we had a very small team, and we were um, had a great team that was handling triage for our, our bug bounty program. And um, that, you know, bug bounty program itself is a crash course in sort of a, a, you know, mismanners, if you will, and dealing with personalities that, you know, and and interacting with people only via, you know, email or text, essentially. Um, But what was good about that is that the team was able to turn a lot of like vulns that we would see on a repeated basis, go to other product teams and say, you know, this is the eighth, ninth, tenth time we've seen this specific issue, you know, what's going on? Can we talk about this? What can we do architecturally to, to make an impact here? So, you know, we don't have to see this problem again. And that was a common theme because, you know, at the time our model, we called on the, the Yahoo security team or the paranoids and they have um, a lot of fantastic people there. And what was neat about it uh, was that, it was a lot the product security was sort of a, a consult a mini consulting so we would be embedded with a couple of different properties or different product groups and just try to figure out how can we introduce some security where it you know there's definitely more needs to be or when security is present how can we shift from doing a lot of that end deployment testing and kind of that you know vulnerability detection into how are we doing service level encryption? How are we handling keys? How are we you know, playing with architectures that are also ways of enabling privacy? And I think if there's something else that I would also like to call out from that experience was that security and privacy are two very related topics, but they also require a lot of different both skills and a lot of different types of controls and ways that you handle data. So it's, you know, in a way I look at it, you know, security enabling privacy. And, um, and it was working with a lot of different teams, working with a lot of people to be able to, to see what the sense of at scale there. So I guess the other thing I should call out is that, you know, working with hundreds of thousands of systems, working with, you know, a few thousand developers and just trying to figure out how can security become a, more a part of this? How can you push security so that more people feel responsible for it as well as are, you know, thinking about it on a daily basis uh, was a really interesting challenge. Cool. cool. Mike, I, I really enjoy hearing about people's work and this podcast is about InfoSec, uh, but it is, as we've mentioned several times, it's about humans. And I'm also curious to learn a bit more about what you spend your time doing outside of work. Tell me about the steampunk masquerade and the heroes and villains ball. (laughs) So if we were, so probably four or five years ago, all my time outside of work would have been spent writing and working on uh, the books because that's what that, that takes a lot of time. But uh, once I set that aside and um, you know, I guess I'll throw this out there as an asterisk to myself. Maybe I should start working on a a fifth edition, but there's some other fun things to do. And I think you, you, you found, or you've, you've talked, you, you've um, picked up on how I love talking about going to Dragon Con. Dragon Con is a great like sci-fi fantasy convention in Atlanta every year. And, um, 
the Heroes and Villains Ball, the Mechanical Masquerade, those are two great parties that are there over the weekend. And uh, the Heroes and Villains Ball tends to have a lot of good 80s music. So that definitely is where uh, a lot of where, where my heart lies. And, um, I, I, you know, an anecdote I'll throw out is, you know, for as much as I might say, and, you know, n- I guess name drop my nostalgia of calling out of, you know, Commodore 64 and, you know, back in the day of the, you know, we were doing web hacking before there was no OSP top 10 and reading frack and CGI vulnerabilities. The, uh, one of, one of my, um, trips to, to Dragon Con, the hero and villains ball, um, one of the there, – there was a song that came on, and everybody on the dance floor was getting into a line, and they started doing this line dance that was kind of like mm-hmm. the electric slide, except it wasn't. And that right there probably is going to date me as like saying, I knew the moves to the electric slide. And for the record, I'm pretty good at Thriller as well. But this one totally threw me off. And it was just like, oh, awesome. There are things that I like, but, you know, a weekend like a Dragon Con or a weekend like a convention – there's a lot of new stuff that isn't even just on my radar. There's a lot of new stuff yet to discover. So I think in hacking and pop culture and music, et cetera, um, I think that's pretty cool. And so by no means do I think, you know, the past in any way is better or you should necessarily even try to be stuck there in some sense of nostalgia, even though it's a pretty fun place to visit. Thank you for sharing that with us. I will uh, be sure to one of these days during lunch um, request that you do your thriller dance for us. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> um, so Mike, we're coming kind of to the conclusion of our first episode. Very exciting virtual high five. Um, we are co-hosts of this podcast. Uh, and do you have any questions for me? Well, normally, you know, typically I would start off this question by, you know, saying you're walking through along in the, you're, you're in a desert, you're walking along in the sand and all of a sudden you look down and, but I don't want to put you on the spot, especially, you know, we can leave, we can leave the, uh, whether or not you're a replicant ambiguous, but I will ask you, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning that you like talking to people. You've also, you know, you yourself have t- presented at some conferences and I'm curious what's been kind of your motivation to talk at conferences or maybe what's your experience been like in the the last one or two presentations you've given? Because I think for a lot of people, especially who haven't done presentations or aren't as experienced as you, they might have concerns or be worried about getting into it. So is there something you, you know, would share with them about that? So I think for me, the talks that I've done at conferences that have been the most well-received are the ones where I'm able to share a story from my own practitioner experience. Um, Now that I've been in the industry for some time, um, I have sort of the advantage of having both worked within organizations as part of the security team, as well as working with many different organizations to see how things are done across the board. And so I'm able to kind of bring that to the table and say, here's a trend that I'm observing and share that information. Um, And hopefully, you know, that resonates with somebody in the audience and they can say, hey, I can relate to that or hey, that makes sense. Um, And to me, the most interesting questions are usually why 
is something happening. So this year, a, a talk I'm giving uh, a few times is called Why Does Security Matter for DevOps? And I actually start by talking about why does DevOps matter? And then I go into talking about why does security matter? Um, I'm also very interested in the how question. So um, I'm much less interested in sort of theory uh, and I'm much more interested in sort of practical how-tos. So those are uh, kind of the things that I like to focus on. Cool. So I think I'm trying to make this into a how question, but uh, our, I want to say, what should we look forward to in the next couple of podcasts? You know, what, what are your thoughts there? And, or how should we expect the podcast to develop over the next yeah, so I do have a really exciting lineup, um, and we're hoping to uh, just continue to talk to people, learn about their stories, um, hear about why they do the work they do, how they do it. Um, and for me, it's just it's just really cool to have an opportunity to talk about these things. Um, yeah. So with that, uh, Mike, thank you so much um, for. For, for helping us uh, to do this first episode. Uh, it's a very, very exciting accomplishment. Um, and uh, yeah, I think listeners can look forward to hearing both Mike and I uh, interview other experts in the security industry um, and non-experts. Like really, it's, it's a general InfoSec population that we're interested in uh, for future episodes of the show. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Caroline. And I think this is a great idea for you to kick off this kind of idea and really focus, like you said, on the humans and we'll get experts and non-experts alike. There's a lot of people that are out there where you should hear from. Definitely. Thanks, Mike. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.